talk about this plan of yours. I think it's good, except it sucks. So let me do the plan, and that way it might be really good. Wow. It's Good Except It Sucks, a movie by movie and television series by television series hurtled through the Marvel Cinematic Universe. This time, we're stepping outside the Marvel Cinematic Universe and into the multiverse for a look at The Amazing Spider-Man, broadcast by CBS between 1977 and 1979 as part of a sort of intended Marvel television universe that never really took off. Technically, this means it takes place between the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. shutting down the original iteration of Project Insight and Star-Lord's parents going on a date to Dairy Queen, and, you guessed it, there's absolutely no crossover with either of those. I'm Tim Worthington, and we'll be finding out what I made of The Amazing Spider-Man shortly. Meanwhile, joining me to give his thoughts on The Amazing Spider-Man is writer Gary Bainbridge. Gary, where can people find you? Oh, on Twitter, and they can probably find me at Bus Stop Editorial Services. If you go to busstopeditorial.com, you'll find me there. I'm very, very cheap. Okay, so before we go any further, Gary, what happens in The Amazing Spider-Man? Peter Parker is a sort of down-on-his-luck post-grad student who's trying to pay the bills as a freelance photographer for the Daily Bugle newspaper when he's bitten by a radioactive spider. And so he's given the proportionate strength, speed and clinging abilities of a spider. So he makes a costume for himself to hide his identity. And then he fights what I can only describe as a succession of 65-year-old men in suits <laughs> and their martial artist henchmen as the amazing Spider-Man. Right, well, I'd normally ask people how much they knew about the central character or something before we got into it. But I would imagine that your background with Spider-Man is pretty much the same as it was with yours with the Incredible Hulk so yeah do you know what I, I loved this show when I was a kid absolutely loved it I mean even though the plots must have been completely over my head I mean, I first saw this one at the cinema and it was in a double feature with, uh, well, the first film anyway, it was in a double feature with Sinbad and the Eye of the Tiger because they released the pilot and two two-part films internationally. And even then, you know, I could tell it was low budget compared to the likes of Star Wars and, you know, the Superman movies. But, you know, I reckon that was appropriate because I think Spider-Man was always much more rough and ready. I got my Auntie Mary to make me a Spider-Man suit because I loved this show so much. And honestly, it wasn't much worse than the outfit he actually wears in the show. Just a side note, was that the classic cinema on Allerton Road? Do you know, it was the classic cinema on Allerton Road. Because I also saw one of the Spider-Man episodes adapted into films there. I would imagine Mitch Ben did too. It's almost like the Sex Pistols' first gig, isn't it? For, <laughs> <laughs> for dweeby men of a certain age. But there is the very fact 
fact that some episodes were released as films shows how big a deal this was at the time. It's kind of remembered as a bit of a failure, which is wrong because it got massive ratings in America. They just cancelled it because it was too expensive. And over here, ITV were really behind it. And there were all kinds of other things like that Kenny Everett Spider-Man sketch that still gets shown all the time. It's very closely based on this. There were a number of... I remember buying a load of those. You know where you get a conductor doing his The Top TV Themes albums? Kind of in the mid-80s. And they go, oh, it's got Spider-Man. It'd be Spider-Man, Spider-Man does whatever a spider can. And it's a theme from this. You know, they just repackaged it from a couple of years earlier. Mm. It was absolutely huge. And it was probably the second most successful after The Incredible Hulk of the Marvel TV shows that they tried to do in the late 70s, early 80s. Actually, do you know what? There's quite a lot to be said for it. Like the portrayal of Peter Parker. You know, it's, it's basically how he was portrayed in the comics at the time, which is good. You know, he's always broke. He's got allergies, you know. He's balancing his job as a photographer with the Daily Bugle, his grad student work and, you know, being Spider-Man. And on some levels, they get the appeal of Peter Parker. But I think the problem with all of these sort of late 70s Marvel shows is they don't understand the characters. The only ones that they got it right with was The Incredible Hulk, where, okay, they changed so much about The Incredible Hulk. But they got the essence of Banner's character. But in this, they don't understand... I'd say the importance of the responsibility and the guilt that drives Spider-Man. So, you know, you take the death of Uncle Ben out of the equation because there's no death of Uncle Ben in this. He's just a guy who puts on a costume and fights crime, you know, just because he's got superpowers and he was brought up nicely. Now, you know, to me, that's not Spider-Man, that's Superman. And, you know, even the Batman series in the 60s, you know, explicitly states that Batman became Batman because his parents were killed by a dastardly criminal. That's exactly what they did with the other productions. They, they lost what made the characters interesting. You know, you look at Captain America he's just a, in the comics and in the MCU movies you know he's a man out of time and that's quite interesting in the TV show he's just this generic surfer dude gets like the super soldier serum or whatever they called it flag and you know he really can't be asked with being Captain America until they give them a motorbike <laughs> Or Doctor Strange, he's a psychiatrist who just sort of happens to cross paths with John Mills of all people and uh, a mum from Arrested Development. And then he becomes a wizard. Like, he doesn't have any sort of quest. He doesn't start off arrogant. He's just some bloke. And then all of a sudden he, he goes on. I really do think that's why these shows failed. Well, also, I think the real problem here is while the stunts are absolutely amazing, and they really did do them because they didn't have the technology then, they actually had people swinging between buildings and, you know, running around oh, on yeah. rooftops and so on. When I say you couldn't do anything like that now, you know, it would be done with CGI, but I doubt you'd be allowed to do that. You know, to stop the traffic to do things like that, you wouldn't be able to now. But oh, I kind of feel Spider-Man isn't used enough in it. It's like an adjunct to Peter Parker. It's like closest equivalent would be from around the same time. You know when the A-team are trapped in the shed and they have, you know, they'll spot some things and BA and Murdoch are able to make something out of them that they then use in the fight with the bad guy. Spider-Man's a bit like that. It's like like Peter Parker is almost like, oh, all right, I'll put on the costume then. And I'll go and fight those henchmen. You know, it, not quite that, but it's like an afterthought that Spider-Man comes to the plot that Spider-Man comes in, not to the action. It just doesn't feel like Spider-Man, the actual no. superhero, is the focus of it. No, I think you're right. I think it's like, it's just like any other zip of being Spider-Man. He doesn't wisecrack, does he? Well, no, he doesn't. He doesn't wisecrack. It's like, oh, God, I was watching the... Well, the TV series is called The Chinese Web, but it came out over here as Spider-Man, The Dragon's Challenge. He rescues an American guy in Hong Kong, and the guy says, Spider-Man, I didn't know you worked outside of New York. And you know, Spider-Man, you know, quick as a flash, he says, I don't usually. And you think... 
God, you know, you and I could come up with about half a dozen lines in reply to that. You know, proper Spidey would have said, what? Something like, wow, wait a minute, you mean this isn't Brooklyn? Anything like that would be better than what he actually says. It's just, it just comes off as really dull. And yet, it didn't seem to matter at the time. And my main memory of, like I say, ITV pushed it really hard, is you might also remember this. The two part of the Deadly Dust, which was made later into the movie Spider-Man Strikes Back, which I eventually, this will become important in a minute, got out from the video shop without realising what it was. <laughs> the Deadly Dust was scheduled, part one, to be on, on was it a Friday night it was on? Friday I remember night. being really excited seeing it at the TV Times, thinking, that sounds brilliant, I can't wait for that. I remember thinking about it in school, thinking, what's the Deadly Dust going to be? And then they couldn't show it for some reason. I don't know whether something had happened in the news or whether there was a technical fault with the episode or something. And I was absolutely crestfallen at that. I thought, <laughs> I want to see the Deadly Dust. I was that excited about it. And then obviously later I saw it without realising I'd seen it. It didn't quite occur to me that it might just be some student stealing some radioactive materials to make a point and then some criminals steal it, which is not, that's not really Deadly Dust as such. There's a bit more to it than that. Do you know what? I really love like the approach to science fiction concepts. You know, it's just it's like, you know, even like, you know, they go, oh, plutonium oxide, there's a reason people call it the deadly dust. Mate, nobody calls it the deadly dust. <laughs> if you Google the deadly dust, all that comes up is this bloody program. <laughs> It's like this one episode, there's a villain, it's called The Curse of Rava, and there's a villain called Mandak, and he's got this uncanny ability to move objects with his mind. He moves them extremely slowly, but he does move them with his mind. And Peter goes to see this professor, because you know he's a professor because he's wearing a white coat, and he says, oh yes, telekinesis, that's definitely a thing. Oh, and yeah, things disappear and that'll be teleportation, yeah, that's very normal space science. (laughs) Oh God, this Mandak is brilliant. He can move any object with his mind, but his favourite trick is to move like a statue of this god very slowly to crush his enemies. And basically the only people who can avoid this awful death are people who can walk at a normal speed. I mean, like Spider-Man defeats this guy by jumping three feet onto a desk. That's literally it. Well, there's a lot of episodes that are about kind of mind control by cult leaders and, you know, new age gurus and so on. Do you think it might be in development for a number of years before? Because they're kind of very early 70s concerns about, you know, errant hippies about to take down the government. And there's a couple of more up to date storylines. Like there's the one about the attempted fascist resolution where they're trying to assassinate somebody. There's the one about the high tech modern building, kind of like anticipating Die Hard, where everyone gets trapped in it by terror. But some of those storylines are way out of date for 1977. Mm, yeah, I know what you mean. And also, students get into a lot of trouble. Yeah. Students keep students going up with amazing uh, and terrible things that Spider-Man has to put a stop to. You know, students are obviously the, the real danger here. And actually, I live off Smithdown Road. Students are definitely the real danger. <laughs> the world's favourite comic book hero, followed by 84 million readers a year. Now... He comes alive. For the first time on the screen, you'll see it all. The spectacular adventures of the amazing Spider-Man. He can do the things a spider does, you know, climb walls and, and spin webs, and he's very, very strong. You've heard about him. You've read about him. Now, you'll see him in action. Kill him. No challenge is too great. No enemy is too strong. The most popular, most daring, most exciting superhero in the entire world. At last, he comes alive for his most incredible adventure. 
there is the thing though which is common to all of the 70s tv shows that they don't really use many characters from the comics certainly no no villains in this i mean there's a couple J. jonah jameson is obviously in this but not in a form you recognize robbie robertson's in it briefly farley sit well aunt may who's played by different people each time she's on and there's rita conway you sort of based on gloria grant but everyone else is new including julie masters who i was surprised to find out that's the sort of character they love bringing into the comics and it doesn't look like they ever did i wonder what the situation was there why they just shied away from using these ready-made characters and ready-made villains because it wasn't just here the hulk never really fought anyone from the comics i did wonder about that because it's not like i mean you you say dr stillwell's in it he's not i mean he is but he's an art historian he's not the guy who created the scorpion he's just a bloke who happens to be called dr stillwell i don't think they even knew there was a dr stillwell in the comics but i look at it you know the characters who were available at that time that they could have used with a very low budget you know you got kingpin you got craven the hunter you got the chameleon you got the enforcers you got the tinkerer rhino you get big man in a gray suit dead easy tarantula completely avoid it like they even have a clone story yeah. and the mad scientist is peter parker's old college professor and they don't make him the jackal they don't <laughs> even call him miles warren it's just perverse uncle ben isn't it mm. aunt may was married to a guy called uncle max and you think why would you call him max does he think which name you know out of all the names just one place above may in alphabetical order one thing that does possibly shed some light on this was i mean i mentioned that stan lee hated it what i didn't know was how vocal he was at the time about it apparently briefly there was a marvel team magazine called pizzazz which he obviously had a column in where it was you know it was all, all about star wars and roller skates and disco and so on it didn't last very long but he kept saying how much he disliked it while it was on the air in Pizarre, so it's possible he might have refused to allow them to use other characters. I don't think so. I, I watched a video about Stan, an interview with Stan, you know, a couple of days ago in preparation for this, because, you know, you always have to prepare for these things. Just ask Stuart McHoney. He complained in, the, in this video about the fact that they didn't use the villains. So I think the villains were there for them. You know, he wanted them to use the villains. He wanted them to do a proper go at Spider-Man. I think the issue that Stan has with it, you know, and, and on this Stan and I are in complete agreement, as usual. They just didn't do Spider-Man. They just didn't like I say, he didn't have that sort of zip that Spider-Man has, and that's such a shame. And yet, it did have the makings of developing into. I think it finds its feet later on, particularly when they get into the second run, when mm. it starts to have better storylines, and it isn't just kind of focused on the stunts above all else. They start to do a bit more with Spider-Man, and the plots are more involved, more different locations, and so on. But it never really, really took off in the way it should have done. And like I say, it's got a really bad reputation now, which I don't think is entirely fair. I mean, I would consider it a challenge to sit through all of the episodes in kind of a Netflix viewing binge-style marathon. But it is better than its reputation suggests. And I think part of the problem is people are going to laugh at the fashions of the 70s anyway. People are going to laugh at the effects. And even at the time, I didn't like the way they did the spider sense, which is basically his eyes go as if... As if somebody's drawing a cartoon of David Bowie, or as if somebody is, you know, has got one of those 3D viewers that used to come free with the TV Times, yeah. wedged their face, where you get the red and blue flashing eyes, and then he sees people in sort of Dalek extermination negative. And that isn't what Spidey Sense really ever was to me. But part of the problem is the costume, because I know this can sound ridiculous, but it looks like somebody in the costume, and it always did. It looked like somebody being Spider Man at a school fair. <laughs> I mean, 
do you know, I don't actually object to that. I think the fact that if Peter Parker makes his own costume, then it's not going to look like the sort of costume that Tobey Maguire Spider-Man wore. It's going to be tight. It's going to be a, a bit sort of rough and ready. I don't, I don't really object to that at all. I think that's actually quite in the spirit of the source material. But yeah, it doesn't look good. And I love the fact that because those stunts are really expensive, they reuse an awful lot of footage. Like, if you're going to do a crime in New York, try not to do it anywhere near the only two buildings that Spider-Man could swing between. You know, he's got this... People probably don't remember it, but, you know, he's, he wears this sort of... He wears a web shooter and he wears the utility belt that Spider-Man has in the comics. But in the comics, he has them underneath the outfit. And in this, he wears it outside the outfit. He wears the belt briefly in the pilot, but he doesn't wear the web shooter in the pilot. And all of the... Well, most of the reused footage is from the pilot because they spent a hell of a lot of money on the stunts for that pilot. So every so often, you know, you'll see Spider-Man climbing up a wall and he hasn't got his web shooter on. And then the next scene, he has got his web shooter on and then his belt disappears and they just reuse all this stuff. It's a bit like, you know, a Spider-Man cartoon in the 1960s. You know, they used the same swinging footage. Yeah. Over and over. Maybe it's an homage. I don't know. Maybe that's the point. He does have the spider traces, though, which I was quite surprised by because that's a bit of a, not quite a deep yes, cut yes. if you're referencing the comics, but it's not, you wouldn't expect it, really. I think they do push the fact that he is a techno genius. It's quite a good story mover, isn't it? Especially as he can't really swing around the city, partly because they film it in Los Angeles rather than New York. Mm. <laughs> it's about four tall buildings. It's about it's like being in Liverpool city centre. I don't know. I, I think it's just a good way of getting him from one place to another place. If he's got the spider tracer, it's an easy way for him to find out where the baddies are. Well, that's the thing. Even though it's filmed in Los Angeles, it does capture that really grimy New York look of the 70s that you associate with, you know, say like filmed inserts in Sesame Street and things like Taxi yeah. and so on. It really suits this series because you can't look at that and imagine there is crime all around. Mm. I mean, there probably was even when they were filming it, to be honest, but it really, <laughs> really suits that look. And I think that's why the episode of Vacants of Shield where they went to 1973, which you mentioned in the intro, which does reference all of the 70s mm. Marvel TV shows. They inhabited that as well. And I think that's why that worked really well as a kind of tongue-in-cheek pastiche, because it got a look that suited things like this, and it really suited the Spider-Man series. I think so. I mean, it, it certainly feels of its time. I mean, not just of its time, you know, because you know, there's people walking around in bell-bottoms. It feels like TV at that time. And speaking of bell-bottoms, I mean, we should just mention Peter Parker and Spider-Man played by Nicholas Hammond, who his fashions look a bit unusual now. I think, <laughs> despite that, despite his incredible hairstyle in it, he actually is quite a strongly performer. I mean, I think he gets a lot of flack now, but for that kind of show at that kind of time, he was what kids wanted to see. Yeah, of course. I wrote to um, a television programme that, um, I, I, won't, I won't say the name <laughs> of the television programme these days, but you certainly got a medal if you appeared on this television programme asking to meet him. I was desperate to meet Nicholas Hammond. I don't know what we'd have talked about if we'd had met each other because, you know, <laughs> we clearly got into that outfit about three times over the whole series. <laughs> like I said earlier on, he was a really good Peter Parker. He certainly had that sort of bad luck spirit that Peter Parker has. He's inexplicably successful with the ladies as Peter Parker often is. I think he's actually a really good lead for the show. Uh, yeah, as I say, it is kind of either treated with derision or forgotten. I mean, as far as I can tell, it's never been on DVD, which was quite astonishing really but there is a rumour circulating at the moment that so obviously the some of the forthcoming Marvel films and TV shows are going to deal with the multiverse
universe, and mm. there are already confirmed appearances by characters from other franchises played by the same actors as the other franchises. There is a mm. rumour that in Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, there is going to be a scene that in some way references the 70s TV iterations of Spider-Man, Doctor Strange, The Hulk, wow. Captain America, and so on. That might kind of bring this back into maybe a sort of warmer reception, but would you be happy to see that happen and to see these shows treated with... It's not hard for them to be treated with a little more respect than they are at the moment, but a little more respect regardless. <laughs> I think I'd like to see a remastered version. The only, I mean, I've seen it recently and it's all sort of hooky YouTube clips and, and, and what have you. I would like to see, because I saw it at the cinema, I'd like to see a, a proper version of it. I think there's probably a rights issue, but it was distributed by Columbia, which is, you know, obviously now owned by Sony. And you think that, well, I'm sure Sony and Marvel could come to some sort of arrangement. People will buy it. People will buy DVDs of the 1970s Spider-Man series because they just will. Well, it might be a rights issue, actually, because are you aware of the album Spider Jazz? <laughs> Tim, I hope you know that I am not aware of the album <laughs> Trunk Records put out a soundtrack of the 60s Spider-Man cartoon, which is right. really good, except due to the complicated rights issue, they could not mention the fact it was from Spider-Man at any point <laughs> in the packaging. So it became Spider-Jazz. It's like featuring music from the TV series we're not allowed to say the name of. <laughs> And, you know, it's even got, the cover has got, you know, a web over New York, very like in the cartoon. It's got the same lettering as the logo. It's just, it says Spider Jazz. Wow. They could call it Spider Program and have... <laughs> Just tint it with the blue and the red from the spider sense and just make it that bit different legally. I'm fairly sure that's what they did with the Japanese version. <laughs> We're going to get onto that eventually, don't you worry. But Gary, oh, there's only one thing left for me to ask now. Although The Amazing Spider-Man was set in New York, as we've mentioned, it was mostly filmed in Los Angeles. Runaways, which is actually part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, was also mostly filmed in Los Angeles. So, was The Runaways LA better than The Amazing Spider-Man LA? I couldn't find any common cast members in this, you might <laughs> noticed um yes if only because it was actually la i can't think of any kind of response to that <laughs> that was the most desperate one i've come up with yet but anyway thank you for being game and answering that gary thank you and excelsior thanks tim if you've enjoyed this don't forget you can buy more editions of it's good except it sucks and plenty more besides including details of my book can't help thinking about me at timworthington.org